Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I thought dating between variants only happened in the Deep South. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and we're all villains here. <laughs> this is Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of international relations and Viberian typology. <laughs> we are entirely fan-supported. You can find out more about us at patreon.com slash spacethenation, where you can become a patron, for instance. We are now in the beginning of hot sci-fi summer, mm -hmm. which means we're avoiding the kind of depressing material we kind of had a, a run on this winter and spring. It was high quality, to be fair, but depressing. It, it, yes, high quality, but depressing. Mm -hmm. Go back and listen if you can. Maybe after some hot sci-fi summer episodes, yes. they can go back and take in Kindred. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hot sci-fi summer is about fun. Today, we're going to be talking about the TV series Loki. Which was fun. It was. We also had fun doing a surprise episode, a special one involving the Tomorrow War. And I think it would be safe to say we enjoyed recording that episode far more than we enjoyed actually watching the film. <laughs> but I think it justified our watching the film. So, like, anything that, like, justifies you watching crappy sci-fi makes it in some ways in, in, enjoyable and so in that sense we're very happy coming on the docket uh, in the next few weeks are first victories greater than death a new novel by charlie jane anders and then after that the adventures of buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension i suspect both of those will be fun Dan. they will be like fun. fun yes and if all goes according to plan we are going to do a mini-sode with charlie jane anders if you have a question for her, feel free to get it to us in one of the many ways that you can contact us on the Patreon, via our Discord community, or you know what? We're both on Twitter. Too much on Twitter. Yes. As many people are. Mm -hmm. I am at Anna Marie Cox. And I am at Dan Dresner. But let's get right into Loki. Anna, can you uh, tell us a little bit about why we're doing this? Well, it's Loki. I think that we've established that this podcast is uh, MCU standing. We both have reservations, I think, about the entire franchise. But you know what they do? They do it well. And it's worth talking about. Like, I, I think it's kind of in some ways like a perfect pop culture product. And Loki is one of their better products. Yes. So like I, the way I would put it is that like there are certain corporations out there that you know, Marvel in many ways is the Amazon of popular entertainment. All right. In, in that <laughs> oh, they're not that evil. <laughs> everyone, but everyone, you know, like everyone, no one's peeing in jars over at MCU. Right. I mean, everyone resents their hegemony, and as Azana would put it, something, something late capitalism, something. But the yeah. thing is, they are extremely competent at what they do, yes. and particularly after watching Drek like the Tomorrow War, I, competence can be immensely satisfying in some ways. <laughs> um, and with respect to the MCU Phase 4, I, I feel like in some ways everything that's come out, all of the Marvel TV shows as well as Black Widow, are basically efforts by Marvel's overlords to sort of tie up all the loose ends from Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And I think Loki absolutely continues that trend, as we will discuss uh, imminently. And just a little background. Yes. According to the MCU overlords, much as Loki might say, it was all part of the plan, um, <laughs> that they knew that they were going to be doing the Loki TV show, at least while they were filming Endgame, if not Infinity War. The show itself is not based on any particular arc in the comics, though it pulls a lot of characters and details and sort of sites. I think every major character and location is in the comics, including Mobius and Ravana Renslayer, the timekeepers, he who remains and the TVA itself. Now, if you are a aficionado of American history, as I know Dan is, I and am. as am I, you might hear TVA and think... 
The Tennessee, and what would they think? They would think the Tennessee Valley Authority, one of FDR's leading New Deal programs. That is correct. And I will uh, just note a couple of places where the real TVA and the TVA of the MCU sort of intersect. One is that the real TVA has a Twitter account, because of course it does. And they tweeted something about being on the lookout for Loki. <laughs> <laughs> good for them. You know, that, that's good for them. Yeah. Sure. Uh, much more interesting, they did a full on interview, the social media team of the TVA. By the way, this TVA has a social media team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did an interview with Inverse.com where they discuss the ways that their TVA is and isn't like the MCU TVA. <laughs> But they also get into a discussion about electric grid reliability, sort of centering on the Texas grid, actually. Mm. So, I mean, I read it with much interest. I did not expect something at a fan site to go there. But you know what? (laughs) That is what they know. Thank God. They talked about it. The TVA was created in the comics by Sal Buscema and Walter Simonson. Someone we know on Twitter. And I don't remember It was Jeet here. Jeet here uh, claimed that Simonson has cited the real TVA as one of the inspirations for the MCU TVA, but I couldn't find any documentation of that online. Both Simonson and Buscema say that their central inspiration, the thing they were thinking about when they created the TVA, was the guy at Marvel Comics who was responsible for continuity across all the comic lines. Which does seem as impossible a task. I pity that <laughs> poor bastard's job. I am not kidding with this. Just because the, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how the hell you would maintain continuity across all. And of his the- reward was that actually, for a while, every character at the TVA, I guess, was uh, drawn to look like this guy. So <laughs> he was the staff and the bureaucracy at the TVA. There also was a nice little touch in the show in which it was sort of acknowledged the New Deal TVA because when you discover where Ramona Renslayer came from, uh, you discover she's a teacher. She's teaching at FDR High School. As far as the TV show goes, I found an article where the creators cited Seven and Blade Runner and Film Noir as inspirations. But Dan, I think we can agree... Those don't really show up. No, my conclusion is either the showrunners are messing with the reporter or they have never actually seen any of those things. There is a chance that they were messing with the reporter because in several interviews, the director also cited Teletubbies as an inspiration, (laughs) which leads me to believe she could be just fucking with people. You know what? And I would actually argue the Teletubbies <laughs> are a more believable motivation because the Miss, I believe that the voice behind the Miss Minute character in this show is also known for doing a lot of uh, children's programming. Perhaps it would make more sense than saying that the look of Seven is in any way represented. Because in the it look really of is not. Yes. Not. They also cited Mad Men for character development, which. Also, I don't really see... I do see it for aesthetics. I mean, the TVA kind of has that feel, that madman mid-century feel. Mm-hmm. So that kind of works. I'm not sure where they're getting the character development. There's no Don Draper in Loki. I mean, I don't... Just no. There's just not. They also cited Brazil, which is much more believable. And in fact... Yeah. Looks... It's almost... It's... Not, there's a... I, I'm not going to use the word derivative. Well, I use the word derivative. But it is a... 
I don't think spiritual it was, cousin. I don't think spiritual it was, cousin to Brazil. I don't think it was derivative, but I will say this, and we'll talk about this. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. There are not a lot of movies that are made in which bureaucracy is the main theme of them, and so inevitably, if you make a movie <laughs> about bureaucracy, you're going to bring up Brazil because Brazil is one of the few ones that it's really clear. That about is an bureaucracy. excellent point, Dan. Yes, <laughs> that is a really really good point. <laughs> There's a reason for that, I would add, but like you know, and, and so again, it's a credit to Loki that it's highly entertaining. Even though it is primarily about a bureaucracy that appears to be slightly off the rails. Indeed. In fact, let's get to it, Dan. Dan, will you take us through the plot? I will. So let's go to Act 1. The TVA ain't just a New Deal program in Tennessee. So first, to recap from Marvel Phase 3. If you recall, Loki in Avengers Infinity War attempted to kill Thanos and save his brother. Thanos killed him instead. In Avengers Endgame, during one of the time heists to steal the Infinity Stone, a grumpy Hulk disrupts the Tesseract heist, and 2012 Loki from the end of the first Avengers film absconds with it and manages to escape. Okay, smash cut to Loki, the Gobi Desert where Loki lands. Just as he's beginning to get his bearings, the TVA, not FTR's brain trust, but the Time Variance Authority, arrives to take him to Time Jail. (laughs) Time Jail just makes me laugh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Loki reacts, as you would expect he would, to being in time prison, ranting a lot about Gloria's purpose and assuming everything is about him. But it quickly becomes evident to him that A, the TVA is a massive bureaucracy, B, his magic does not work there, and C, a lot of other things don't work there either, as there are literally dozens of Infinity Stones just sort of lying around in a lost and found drawer, and they don't do anything. The TVA moves through time with the Tempads, which kind of look like old Star Trek tricorders. Loki and his interrogator, Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, have a heart-to-heart about Loki's options. Mobius explains that the TVA's job is to preserve the sacred timeline and that they have the ability to monitor and prune any temporal path created by a quote-unquote variant that would deviate from that timeline. No, the Avengers mucking around with time does not count, in case you were wondering. Uh, Apparently. Apparently, yes. (laughs) Mobius needs Loki's help uh, to find another Loki variant who is apparently killing TVA employees. Anna, I loved all the bureaucracy of the TVA, and Owen Wilson in particular played uh, the bureaucrat role perfectly. But I confess my favorite thing might have been Miss Minute. What about you? Well, Miss Minute sort of has a turn, doesn't she? Yes, which is why I kind of like that, yes. <laughs> she is pretty sassy. Mm-hmm. It's like we- So she's a weirdly sexy stopwatch <laughs> also. <laughs> The whole concept of a weirdly sexy stopwatch is fascinating. Yeah. Yes. It's, like also, your, it's like your it's uh, like your your GPS that has the sexy voice, you know. <laughs> I also have a theory that magic never works in any bureaucracy because that's what makes it a bureaucracy. I mean, think about it. Like a bureaucracy, if you had magic, there would be no bureaucracies. Like Excuse does me. magic work at the DMV? Okay, I'm just going to counter with the Ministry of Magic. I think by Ma- definition, the Ministry of Magic in Harry Potter. Well, Okay, but my point stands that it does seem like magic doesn't work in bureaucracies. In our everyday bureaucracies, when you are stuck in some kind of like official traffic, when you have red tape to cut through, it is a time when you kind of feel powerless, right? Yeah. And like not even magic would help. Although, yes, fine, Harry Potter. No, 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 but I take your general point. But I also think that that was one of the effective things about particularly the first episode, because you look at... The bureaucracy and these guys don't necessarily seem like world beaters as it were they don't seem like <laughs> superheroes right and yet the fact that like they're completely unimpressed with loki and they're completely unimpressed with anything that we've been taught to be impressed by in the mcu it it, it creates a nice mix of simultaneously powerless and powerful 
Yes, although it does remind me of the DMV. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, fair they're not also not impressed with anything, I yes, have to say. Yes, true. <laughs> and there is a real love-hate thing here with bureaucracy and Loki. I mean, we'll talk more about that as the plot unfolds. I think we get a hint of the fact that the TVA may not be all beneficent mm-hmm. in that they appear to kill people yeah, there's who that... vary from the timeline. Right. <laughs> like, we later find out they're not actually killing them, but as it's set up for us... They think they're the, killing them is the important They think they're killing them. Yeah. The people who get pruned think they're being killed. And to be fair, and they, they also pretty much die. I mean, it is, you know, in the end, winds up being that that's what it's, happens. Yeah, it's a, it, one might say it's a fate worse than death. There you go. I don't know. I just think that's really interesting. I actually don't know if I caught that, really. Like, I was so, like, entranced by, oh, this is so cool. Like, there's a bureaucracy. It looks like the 30s, which I love. Mm -hmm. And Owen Wilson, oh, my God, it's Owen Wilson playing an old person. Wow, we're all old now. (laughs) Those are all the thoughts going through my head. So I didn't really get to the, wow, they just kill people without much, you know, fanfare. Like, or really any judicial process, it seems. Like, that, that judicial process seemed pretty... Yeah, that was like Bond Middle. Court or something. Like that was yeah. that was really not like he didn't he didn't he doesn't even have a representative or a, a lawyer yeah. articulated on his behalf. I, human rights violations left and right oh, over at the TVA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would add, right. by the way, I did like the way that Mobius deals with Loki when they first meet. It's just sort of like, well, oh, Loki, you're adorable, you know. All right, so. we we can like pause the plot re- yeah. <laughs> plot discussion for a little bit just to like stand on Owen Wilson. Yes. He did that so well. He and did. it's such, a, and also Tom Hiddleston, right. that whole like uh, two-hander where he's playing back to Loki, mm-hmm. all of these like glorious purpose scenes. Yep. And you just see the emotional and real destruction that Loki has wrought. Right. And apparently not felt much about it. Mm-hmm. He, as he sees it over and over and over, like, Loki's always been, because Tom Hiddleston plays him, he's always been more complicated <laughs> maybe than he like looks on paper but you believe Hiddleston and Loki when they kind of are like I want to be something different yes again this was the the first episode in particular was fantastic also in making it very clear and they're they're explicit about it but it actually works to explain what does what is the purpose of Loki in the MCU and the purpose of Loki is to bring out the best of everyone else which is great for everyone else and kind of sucks for Loki but also I think weirdly and we'll talk about this a little bit later but like I the interaction between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston was so great in the first two episodes that it was actually frustrating as the series went on because they don't interact that much. I agree. I was hoping for like a, a buddy, buddy cop movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, but no, we don't get that. I also was kind of looking forward to I, I They did hint actually at sort of a noir potential here mm-hmm. when they were setting up as a mystery. But yeah. no, that just got that just nope, nope, nope. Other stuff happened. Please, tell us what that other stuff was. So let's go to Act 2. Loki learns about counterfactuals. Loki, god of mischief that he is, keeps trying to learn more about who runs the TVA and who created the TVA, a.k.a. the Timekeepers. Along the way, though, he figures out how the other Loki variant is hiding from the TVA. Essentially, they're hiding in apocalypses and disasters. This is actually pretty clever because the TVA can only detect someone mucking around in the time stream when they create a so-called nexus event that allows a variant in history 
history to emerge. This is, of course, next to impossible close to catastrophes or disasters because everyone and everything is obliterated anyway. And indeed, Loki and Mobius even conduct a natural experiment to show that this is actually true. So, <laughs> Loki and Mobius trace the clues of the other Loki variant to a hurricane that will hit later this century in, I think, Alabama. And they so go to this large Walmart-type store and split up to find the other Loki variant. And our Loki uh, gets to find her first. That's right, it's a Lady Loki, who is hella talented at enchantments. She escapes the TVA and our Loki follows her. Lady Loki's backstory is pretty simple. When she was 10, the TVA pruned her, specifically Mobius's boss, Ravona Renslayer. Uh, she escaped, however, before she could be, com- could be completely processed and has grown up evading the TVA's grasp while hatching a master plan of her own that we never entirely figure out. She calls herself Sylvie now, and she and Loki bond quite nicely. So nicely, in fact, that even though they've escaped to a planet that's about to be destroyed, they unintentionally create a nexus event that allows themselves to be detected by the TVA. Sylvie also tells Loki that contrary to what the TVAocrats have been led to believe, they were not in fact created by the Timekeepers, but are rather ordinary mortals who were variants and who have been taken out of time and had their memories wiped. Anna, I think my favorite part of the middle episodes was Loki and the audience figuring out how counterfactuals work. This is a really important part of social science. Curious about your thoughts? So I think I might have to have you explain to me what you mean by counterfactual, because I thought I knew. Mm -hmm. It's a thought experiment, kind of, Mm -hmm. where you say, like, this thing could not have happened without this other thing. Right. It's like, would World War II have happened if Hitler had been assassinated? You know, something like that. So in other words, it's asked, if you change one component of history... Does history play out the same way or does that actually prove to be a sort of crucial cause? And the reason this matters is is that the only way the TVA can detect people is if there is a nexus event that creates a branch of time. But if you're right close to a catastrophe, you can't. No counterfactual matters because everything gets wiped away. I get all I get all that. That part. I just I think I was overthinking. (laughs) Yes. I was like looking up counterfactual. I'm like, what am I not getting here? What is the social science-y part of this? And it turns out it's just really an easy thing to to grasp. The cool thing is how they figured it out. Yes. You're right. When they go back to Pompeii and Loki like runs around doing stuff. More social science. They run an experiment to see whether or not their hypothesis is proven. So I- A rare time in social science when you can run a like a- Experiment that has a control. Kind exactly. Of. So, like again, props. They episode two is all about social science and how it should be properly done. <laughs> and I have to admit, would not have thought that Loki was going to be the one who actually did it. So, a couple of thoughts. Mm-hmm. I will say that Sylvie's rage about this seems justified to me. The way she was treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also seems like she's sure carried it for a long time and not processed it and not thought about it much and just kind of like she has this plan, which again. We never really Gotta know. say, it keeps being described as a plan. It's not just that it's described as a plan. I think at one point she says, I've been working on this for longer than you can possibly imagine, which suggests she's got a lot of invested into it. Yeah. We never quite understand besides fuck shit up <laughs> is like her plan. Yes. Which would be consistent with the Loki, by the way. But yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, or burn it all down, which is what Mobius says later. Right. Although I did have an idea that what she could have done is just fuck with the timeline over and over and over and over, actually, and intentionally creating all these different Nexus events, Mm. which might overwork the TVA and, like, somehow make it kind of implode or at least, like, unleash a lot of different timelines. But that's not personal enough. This is one of those things, like, where they say in a police procedural, the killer, it was an intimate killing. 
they had their hands around their neck. She wants to do a hands around their neck kind of killing. Right. There's a revenge element to this. Clearly. Yes. Yes. I loved the kind of random song and dance routine that Tom Hiddleston does on the train on Lamentus. Which is a great name for a planet that's about to be destroyed. Uh, indeed. Yeah. It's almost like they knew. Yeah. <laughs> I have questions, though. Mm-hmm. How long is that train ride that she fell asleep for so long that he got drunk and started doing a song and dance routine? Why didn't she wake up? Also, I know he's the god of mischief. He's not completely without self-control. And why would you do this? Like, why out of nowhere would you do a song and dance routine where you're ostensibly trying to sneak around? Right. He's tr- right? he's ostensibly trying to blend in. And yes. yes it does, that's- but he does an Asgardian <laughs> song. Not just any song, but he sings an Asgardian. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. It just seemed odd. I, I think I love him doing that so much. It would have been nice if they'd just done one little hand wave to set it up like he's bored or something. Right. But no. Anyway, it was a good excuse for him to... I will say that one of the things we learned during this, which I think some fans thought was a very big deal, although I I thought this was sort of canon already, is that both Lokis, I believe, are bisexual. I don't know if it was canon in the MCU. No, that's well to the MU. I think the MCU we just it was never discussed. So like yes, yes, right, yes. But and there are some differences between the MCU and the MU, meaning the movies take their departures from the comics Mm -hmm. this was this did mean a lot to a lot of people actually because it was dealt with so matter-of-factly right which seemed appropriate i would add yes also especially just like it might be (laughs) it was dealt with matter-of-factly and also given what happens eventually between loki and sylvie (laughs) just a whole separate conversation we need to have so yes we're having a separate conversation about what happens later yes all right let us move on to act three uh let a thousand loki's go boom Loki and Sylvie are captured slash rescued by the TVA. Mobius is pretty pissed with his Loki, despite the latter's claims that the TVA has been lying to its employees. Mobius punishes him by putting him in a short time loop in which Lady Sif just constantly smacks him around. But Mobius clearly has doubts about what is going on, particularly because Renslayer will not let him interrogate Hunter C-20, whom Sylvia had enchanted, and then later, according to Renslayer, has died under mysterious circumstances. Sylvie is also imprisoned, but another hunter, B-15, lets her go because she was also enchanted by Sylvie and is beginning to realize that the TVA was lying to her. Mobius then frees Loki, and they and Sylvie make their way to the Timekeeper's chamber where they learn that the Timekeepers are weak-ass robots. I mean, seriously, like, I've seen Disney robots that are better than those robots. They almost seem intentionally reminiscent of, like, Star Trek? Yes, that was what I was thinking as well. I I can't remember the episode. Sorry, fans. It's the one with Ron Howard's uh, older brother. That's the thing I remember. (laughs) But they were... The Corbinite Maneuver. Ah, It's the Corbinite Maneuver. Wow. Yes. I pulled that out. But they're very similar, right? And they I thought they looked like androids the entire time. But I assumed like this was the earthly, you know, kind of incarnation of some higher power that, of course, they'd use robots. But no, apparently they're... Literally just robots. Yes. Okay. Right after this discovery, Renslayer manages to disapparate Mobius and Loki before Sylvie disarms her. Renslayer bargains for time, and soon plenty of Minutemen enter the chamber. Sylvie grabs a tempad and then zaps herself because Renslayer explains that those zap don't actually die or disappear. They just go to the end of time. Loki, who has been zapped, awakens to find himself with many other Loki variants, including, as God is my witness, an alligator Loki. They are just trying to survive at the end of time and make sure that Eliath, 
the real monster at the end of the book, does not kill them. Soon they are fighting other Loki variants, including a President Loki, with, shockingly, lots of double crosses galore. Finally, our Loki reunites with Mobius and Sylvie. The latter thinks she can enchant Eliath and get past him to see what he's guarding. She gives her tempad to Mobius, who returns to the TVA. The rest of the Lokis stay at the end of time. Anna, the MCU has stayed almost entirely silent about the existence of Donald Trump as president, the Trump years more generally, <laughs> and I can't say that I blame them, but it did seem like President Loki was sort of a nod in that direction. Would you agree? Uh, isn't it funny, like maybe from now onward in history, we're going to see narcissist, semi-fascist leaders and be like, eh, kind of like Trump, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, although, yes, the MCU has avoided any direct Trump references, as you and I have discussed, they are very interested in nationalism and patriotism Hmm. and ideology Hmm. and the difference between all of those things, especially Falcon and Winter Soldier, or as it's now known, Captain America America and the Winter Soldier. I did watch a bunch of videos sort of showing all the Easter eggs available Mm -hmm. in Loki season one and they're very fun there's a lot of them in fact i won't go into all of them particularly in that um, episode it's in the it, episode but particularly five, yes. in that episode yeah. it's chock full of them and like god bless those people who like watch in slow motion to see that stuff and like, god I, god bless the folks who do the recaps who, who point this shit out because like i would not notice all of these things yeah yeah i personally was hoping that someone in one of those easter egg explainers would say something about the vintage eames lounger that one of the lokis <laughs> is crashing on because <laughs> I was like, wow, is Charles and Ray Eames part of the MCU? But no, it's just a cool chair. Maybe we talk here about getting, you know, kind of... Loki self-love, as it were. <laughs> by, by whatever is happening between Loki and Sylvie. Because the variant thing is really, again, not even a wave of the hand. Just like it's just posited that the variants are somehow the same and yet and also completely different and i don't they i I talk about having it both ways (laughs) (laughs) they don't seem in like they seem to have different personalities all these lokis i'm going to focus on the lokis Mm -hmm. all the lokis have different personalities they look different mostly they all kind of have a similar unit they have the horns Mm -hmm and green in their attire somewhere. But other than that, and then there's like, they make jokes about the alligator Loki. I do want to know more about the alligator Loki. (laughs) What is the alligator Loki's backstory? But that does suggest that they could just be entirely different, which what would then what makes them the same? I think what what makes them the same actually is their narcissism. I really do think that's something that. So, if you're narcissistic enough, you're a Loki. Well, no, but like president Trump, but all of the Loki's, it, it, you can be a narcissist and not be a Loki, but you can't be a Loki and not be a narcissist would be the way I would put it. <laughs> All right. Yes. Self-love. But but um, it also, it, it therefore, I, and like, I actually, I, again, this was something where I thought Owen Wilson played it really well. Like he suddenly realizes, oh my God, you actually have a thing for yourself, basically, is what he's yes. saying to Loki. And the more that you think about it, the more you realize, yeah, he's right. It is a little weird and icky, but given Loki's backstory entirely consistent with his character that he would fall in love with himself and also somewhat consistent with sylvie's character Mm -hmm. that she's more doubtful Mm -hmm. 
she i mean and th- but then we get into this other thing because some of the loki's seem to have evolved more than others yeah like the classic loki the, which is the one with the really weird horns Who's he's played dressed, by richard um, e grant yeah who did really well play, beautiful yes. beautiful cameo yeah. it has some sense of dignity and selflessness right in fact without his intervention he helps among others you know sort of distract Elias to the so that sylvie can wind up enchanting so anyway i just uh, variants <laughs> variants yeah yeah. All right. Let's move on. All right. We close with Act Four, and now I'm praying for the end of time. Loki and Sylvie find He Who Remains at the end of time. They just refer to this person as He Who Remains, and he's just a dude. He explains that he's from the 31st century, I think, and that he or one of his doppelgangers discovered the multiverse. There was a multiverse war, and he won. To preserve his power, he created the TVA to prune other timelines, thereby preventing other versions of him from fighting that war. He who remains, who I'm just going to call fake Voldemort from here on in, explains that he knew that those two Lokis would make it here, and he has a proposition slash choice for them. They can kill him, in which case the timelines start to branch out again and the cycle repeats, or they can take over and run the TVA. While they are given this choice, Mobius has returned to the TVA and confronts Renslayer, who has received information from Miss Minute and fake Voldemort that we don't actually know what is in it when the show ends. Mobius wants transparency in a reformed TVA. Renslayer wants to stick to the original mission. They argue and fight, and then Renslayer slips away with her tempad. Back at the end of time, fake Voldemort is very excited because for once he does not know what is going to happen. Loki, our Loki, Tom Hiddleston, thinks that they should in fact accept the offer and run to the TVA because the alternatives could be chaos and bloodshed. Sylvie, however, thinks that uh, free will rocks and therefore they should kill him and just let chaos under heaven ensue. The two Lokis fight and then they kiss and then Sylvie boots Loki back into the TVA and kills fake Voldemort. We then see the timeline branching every which way. Loki, back at the TVA, finds Mobius to warn him about Sylvie and he who remains. Mobius acts as though he is unfamiliar with Loki. Meanwhile, the anonymous statues of the timekeepers that we have seen in the TVA up till now have been replaced by a statue of fake Voldemort. And that's it. That's how it ends. Except, <laughs> you know, there is a small... It's a, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. It's a definite cliffhanger. However, the only after credit scene in this case is just a promise that there will be a season two of Loki, which is interesting because I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a season two of WandaVision or a season two of Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Oh, I believe there is going to be a season two of Captain America and the Winter oh, Soldier. Oh, okay. We didn't know that, at least when we finished watching it, but fair yes, enough. They didn't say that, but since they changed the title... That does suggest. Credits, fair, yes. It does suggest. Anyway... I'm an MCU fan, but I confess to not being a a complete Marvel Comics buff. Just so I'm clear, he who remains is Kang the Conqueror, though, right? I mean, that's what I've seen implied all over the internet. And if so, what does that mean? I am also not an expert on the comics, but I do watch a lot of explainer videos. (laughs) So... And everyone does seem to conclude that he is Kang. And there are a lot of sort of Easter eggs and other hints throughout the season that he is, including Renslayer being a a Kang, like, protagonist of some kind. Yeah, Acolyte, yes. And then also, one of my favorite things that I feel like I should have noticed, there is a Stark skyscraper in the void, the end of time, but it has Kang on it instead of Stark. So... There we go. What does this mean? Again, what the internet seems to tell me, those nameless, faceless nerds who find out things that I am too lazy to. (laughs) (laughs) 
time travel is going to be a big part of stage four. Is that what we're at stage four now? Yes. Stage four. (laughs) That sounds like sounds like a disease, but okay. (laughs) And then also they can pull in a lot of different characters. I believe Kang has a lot of crossover with the Fantastic Four. Oh, interesting. Who up until now have been mainly known for how bad their movies have bombed. So doing like a good Fantastic Four movie, like mm, could be cool. And I would add that it looks like the next bunch of Marvel properties, or at least several of the next bunch of Marvel properties, clearly imply multiverses. So I think we know that the next Spider-Man movie is going to have multiverses. The next Doctor Strange movie is literally called like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I think Kang also appears in the next Ant-Man movie. And indeed, Marvel's next TV show called What If literally is premised on, oh, is on the idea multiverses. of multiverses. Yes. yes. So also that this means that we could get uh, sort of Marvel fun times happening at any period in history, mm. which, you know, could be fun. Yeah. One thing about that final scene, though, uh, Loki keeps telling Sylvie, let's think about this. (laughs) He repeats that over and over and over. Let's think about it. I don't know what further thinking could do to illuminate the situation exactly. People have been debating free will versus order for a very long time, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I know I've got the script right here on it. I know that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't I mean, you can make a choice about it. Like, you can decide what you think, but I don't know, like, if discussion is going to really make a big difference. Dan, I, I have a very important question for you. Please fire away, Anna. Dan. Mm-hmm. Yes, Anna? Is there IR in this television series? Anna, there is not just IR, but there's also stuff that represents kind of an existential threat to the study of IR, I would suggest. <laughs> And by that, I mean the following. A basic assumption of international relations is anarchy. And anarchy is defined as the absence of any central authority that has a monopoly on the legitimate use of violence. This does not necessarily mean chaos. This does not necessarily mean a lack of hierarchy or a lack of hegemony. But still, you're assuming that anarchy is there. Because otherwise, essentially, you're just talking about politics within the state as well. Which is important. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just now get what you mean by not by ending the study of international relations. There we go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, because if, if there's no, if there's one power, if there's just one power, it's like there's only one country. Right, we're just studying domestic. And so politics. there's no such thing as international relations. Exactly. Yes, I wasn't kidding about the existential threat thing here. Okay. So within the MCU, the TVA represents a Vibarian state that is clearly and demonstrably more powerful than any other actor bound by time. And just to be clear... (coughs) Yes, yes, Anna, you have a question? Uh, Professor, I I studied hard, I swear, but (laughs) uh, maybe other listeners don't know who this Weber person is. Sorry, I remember... Is is it the grill? No, no, no. Although it would be great if they were somehow related. I am, of course, (laughs) referring to Max Weber, the great German sociologist and political scientist who talked about, you know, sort of really had a lot of foundational concepts about how we think about the social sciences. Among other things, Weber actually was one of the first to talk about bureaucracy as a concept, that there are different modes of ruling. One is through charismatic authority and one is through legal rational authority, which essentially consists of of bureaucracy. And that is what the TVA presents itself as. That suggests that this is not an IR situation. But I think we're rescued here because while they are extremely powerful, do they have the monopoly on the legitimate use of violence? 
No, because they're not legitimate. No one knows they exist. For them to be legitimate, everyone would have to say, oh yeah, don't worry, the TVA is going to take care of this. No one knows about the TVA. The whole point of their existence is to not know about the TVA. So they are therefore beyond IR scholarship. This just made me think about like almost every superhero narrative that there is, since so many of them are about like universal power, mm -hmm. like someone who is able to conquer the whole universe. I guess I'd never realized that, you know, an ancillary effect of that would be all these, the liquidation of all these college IR demands. <laughs> you know, let's focus on the real victims here, Anna, okay? I mean, I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, is that like Thanos, like, you know, you just suddenly, like, why study IR? You're just like, studying. Why do it? You no, know, all you're going to do then is study the Infinity Stones. It's just history then. That's the that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. And and then the other thing I, I had a question about yeah. was the idea that no one knowing that they exist means they don't have a monopoly on legitimate power. Right. So legitimate. I mean, I I obviously know what that yeah. means, but the part about if something's in secret, mm -hmm. then they can't have legitimate power because there's also a bunch of conspiracy. I mean, it's like when people posit a conspiracy theory. Right, but the key word here is legitimate. They can have the monopoly on power. That's completely okay. possible. Ah, Legitimacy, though, requires that I essentially see. the governed have accepted that the, the governors are actually in power for reasons that are right and good, or at least lawful, or at least obeying whatever sort of decision rule they've had. And if they are secret, then that sort of violates the legitimacy requirement. All right. All right. So, speaking of Weber. Mm -hmm. There is a shit ton of bureaucratic politics in this show, though, uh, as we've said yes. before. And it's, it's highly unusual. You don't see bureaucratic politics all that much, particularly in superhero shows. And this does remind me of a, a guy named Jerry Purnell, who is actually a both a science fiction writer uh, as well as a political science PhD. He also had, surprisingly, we keep running into this with sort of classic sci-fi authors, he was basically a paleocon, uh, had some horrible views on a variety of things. But he did propose something called the Iron Law of Bureaucracy, which says, in any bureaucracy, the people devoted to the benefit of the bureaucracy itself always get in control, and those dedicated to the goals that the bureaucracy is supposed to accomplish have less and less influence and sometimes are eliminated entirely. Does that happen in the TVA, Anna? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I also want to say that this is the essential lesson of a book I read in college called The TVA, not this TVA, the, the other TVA, The TVA and the Grassroots, which is a major sociological study. Right, by Philip Selzman, um, I think. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Foundational, though, somewhat forgotten now. Yeah. And he just did a, just, it's really exhaustive interviews and documents, and he basically sees this. Mm -hmm. What I remember being angry about at the time, the corruption of the TVA yeah. strayed from the values of the New Deal. Um, but it did that because it had to preserve itself. Yeah. And, so, and, and this is, I mean, again, whatever you think of the normative implications, bureaucracies do tend to do this. Bureaucracies inevitably focus on their own survival. Self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. It, they are like organisms in that right. regard. And so bureaucracies that even like, and, and by the way, this doesn't just apply to government bureaucracies. It also applies to any like other organization, organizations that ostensibly solve a problem, inevitably find a new mission because they don't want to disband. So that's generally speaking how it works. What else, Dan? 
<laughs> it was such conviction. Yeah. One last thing, which is I have some questions about fake Voldemort or he who remains and the multiversal war as he describes it. Uh, he basically says that when the multiverse is discovered, there is a short golden age followed by a war of multiple selves in which some of the people who were not keen on cooperation sort of trigger this war of all against all. That's not probably how it would work, which is to say that if there really was a sort of period of cooperation, and he says that, like, people learn from other universes' technologies and best practices and so on and so forth, that would lead to alliances which would presumably crush whoever actually was trying to defect. And therefore, any sort of really ambitious he who remains likely would have lost in this kind of war. So my point is his narrative is unreliable. Those who cooperate in technology and information sharing would likely have had more capabilities than the more ambitious sorts. This is demonstrated most clearly in Robert Axelrod's classic book, The Evolution of Cooperation. Uh, and therefore, I've once again proven that Kang the Conqueror could not exist in real world boom social science y'all that that there's a mic on the floor and it says social science <laughs> on it but you know what anna i have a question for you oh dan what is anna? it anna dan did you find a way to point out the evils of capitalism from watching this television series well dan I spent some time in our last episode talking about Adorno, <laughs> yes. and I don't really want to do that again. But TLDL, too long to listen. <laughs> the MCU is basically the exact kind of mass-produced entertainment that dulls the masses into submission to whatever cultural hegemony is in action. Loki is a lot better than Black Widow, though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just illustrates how a simple country democratic socialist like myself... <laughs> You mean a small town country democratic socialist? Basically? Small town country democratic socialist sometimes does find herself giving in to the cultural hegemony. Like I, it's fun. It's cool. I want to be conquered. I guess if since we're talking I mean, about conquering. the one that, the sort of I will say this: the one through line between both Black Widow and, and Loki that I kept thinking of is again. If there's nothing else that Marvel is good at, it is getting good actors to actually commit to these kinds of roles. Yeah. Florence Pugh is just so goddamn awesome in Black Widow that, like, literally her lines have kept running through my head in the in the week, in, like, the, the couple days since I've watched that movie, even though the movie itself is, frankly, somewhat forgettable. And similarly with Loki, like, the thing that I am upset about with Loki is that there should have been more Owen Wilson in it because he was that <laughs> good, it, particularly in the first two episodes. And also, I think to some extent... You know, with Renslayer, who is played by Gugu Mbatha-Raw, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. What a great name. Yeah, which is a fantastic name. She is a fantastic actress. You know, like, Beyond the Lights is, is a really outstanding ep movie. She's in one of the best episodes of Black Mirror, I would also argue. And she doesn't, she's not given a ton to do in this. And so I'm hopeful that we see her in season two and, like, you know, actually having some character development. Trivia. Yes. Apparently she, uh, Tom Hiddleston, and Hunter... B fifth no B fifteen oh hundred B fifteen okay yes hundred B all went to acting school oh really oh that's awesome how about that? that's good one more comment on capitalism mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, this show <laughs> uh, I don't think you have to be very up on your Marxism to realize that the TVA really needs a union like what is going on with the labor there so this right uh, yes go ahead. Okay, well, I'm not sure they get paid. Mm -hmm. What is that compensation package? Where do they live? Can they take <laughs> retirement? Do they get health care? Does it include dental? 
These are all questions that I have. I am willing to negotiate on their behalf. Imagine what a strike would do. (laughs) I think they really, you know, could be making some pretty serious demands. So I have a politics response and a narrative response. The politics response is, to be fair, I'm not sure Marx has much to say about state unions. Because really, if if you think of the TVA as an authority, this gets complicated. Because the TVA is not a profit TDA is not a company. It's not a, a profit-seeking actor. And so... Well, uh, we actually... I, mm, see, depends on how you see he who remains. Okay, fair enough. But, like, I'm just pointing out that... Is he is he who remains a state? Yeah. Or is he someone who is actually pursuing some kind of profit? Which I would argue that he is. Which is, I mean... It's the value of control. Maybe right? I don't. It, we're, but yeah, it's not. It, it doesn't. There's no like. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't. We're quite on thin ice. But the other thing is, is that I would have actually liked to have seen again a little more. Like it would have been great if they could somehow have thrown in stuff like in the background or just sort of throwaway lines of like like you like where do TVA employees go on vacation? Do TVAs have vacation benefits? They should have vacation benefits because their job. Could Owen Wilson, exhausted. in fact, jet ski if he exactly. wanted to? Exactly. That's the other thing. Like and again. I'm going to repeat this theme. That was a thing. Like, I actually thought the jet ski thing was like a Chekhov's gun that we were going to see at the end of the, the show because, like, he, it kept coming up in the first two episodes. It just disappears. We don't know what happens with that. No. Why does no. he want it so I thought skis? even, and, and, like, I thought he maybe he was going to jet ski at some point. Like, he's going to, like, after the, at the end of time, right. <laughs> you jet ski there. Or once they figure out the how you can hide in apocalypses. Go jet ski right. off Pompeii. I was going to say, like, this seems, like, uh, that strikes me as a great place to go on vacation. You can go on vacation anywhere where there's about to be an apocalypse. You know, you just check in a couple days before, you're going to have a great time. It seems to be like, you know, effortless. That, that's, that's a, just just don't make any relationships. Just just, just don't plan. Yes, to. exactly. Like, th- it's true. There could be a lot of one-night stands, but, like, there's not, not going to be yeah, anything from yeah. it. So, yes, I agree with you on that element of the show. Sorry, one one last point on this, which is I, I did like the TVA cafeteria. That felt like a real. I know that sounds crazy, but like that felt like a real cafeteria. I like it when Owen Wilson gets to, gets annoyed because Loki is interrupting his lunch. Like that might have been the most real bureaucratic politics or like organizational culture thing I've seen in the entire MCU. Also, that is where Loki demonstrates counterfactuals. Yes, exactly. So we have to move on to themes, Dan. Yes. Do you see a theme in this show? I mean, to the extent that there is one beyond what we've talked about, which is bureaucracy and the ways in which bureaucracy can be simultaneously comforting and stultifying, there is a legitimate debate to be had at the end of the show between Sylvie and Loki. They're both right. Loki is right that, like, the devil you know might sometimes be better than the devil you don't, and if you just end all this, who knows what bad stuff could happen. But on the other hand, Sylvie is right about free will, I think. So, you know, it's not a a clear... It's a legitimate debate to be had, and I think it's one that the show does sort of try to hint at. Yeah, I think that the the show take dives from a lot of debates, yeah, I have to say. Yeah. They bring up a lot of questions, but don't really have much interest in answering them. I would say this is where, like, the MCU sort of is keeping things light, as it were, and so, like, they kind of yeah. touches on this, but it doesn't really. The only theme that I could really detect also than this was truly narcissism, that which makes sense given that Loki, the character of Loki. Loki... Yes thinks very highly of himself. I actually thought the the funniest thing about the the first season was that Loki was convinced the Avengers were engaging in the time heist to stop him as opposed <laughs> to Thanos, who he's not a, like you know. um yeah. and so like and that was like entirely in character and like a legitimately inspired notion. And so therefore it is unsurprising 
that Loki finally seems to develop real feelings towards someone else, and that someone else is sort of like him. Again, I just... It's icky. It yeah. really is. But uh, anyway, <laughs> maybe they'll do some further explaining about variants that makes it seem less icky. I don't know. So a theme of sorts that I, I saw is trauma. Mm-hmm. Because especially in, in Sylvie's character, because PTSD is literally the feeling that your traumatic event is happening over and over again. And you relive its effects over and over again. And to me... If that is what she has experienced, and you, I mean, definitely being kidnapped at age 10 and then raising yourself right. is a traumatic And by the event. way, I, no I would add, we, I, correct me if I'm wrong, we never know what, what she did that was wrong, what, what that she did that oh, created uh, well, and Well, here's the other uh, reason why we should have been clued in that the TVA is not, you know, necessarily a good yeah. guy, is that you get pruned just for doing something that sets off history in the wrong way. Right. It's not that you do something wrong. Or malevolent, yeah. Like, Malevolent, yeah. It's it's just like you did something that is going to cause a new Right, universe. no, this goes back to your so original you point pruned. that like the TVA kills people apparently without really worrying about it. The fact that they would kill children, that's yeah, right. super <laughs> problematic, I think, you know. It's, it seems yeah. wrong. It seems wrong. In fact, it's and it's the two that we know of. There's also child Loki. That's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Anyway, so her being trapped in sort of an emotional time loop, let's say, mm-hmm would explain why she never has any kind of growth out of that rage and despair and why she is not interested in power. Mm-hmm. She just wants to have self-determination. Yes. She does not care. She does not give any fucks <laughs> about controlling the universe. She just wants to control her own life. Right. And that is why the sort of conflict between her and Loki is unresolvable. Mm-hmm. I will say here that I really thought that the show was going to do something with free will. <laughs> yeah, not so much. When I was taking notes in the first few episodes, knowing we were going to be talking about it, I thought about this idea that there is a sacred timeline because, uh, Dan, I am a person of faith. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. Sacred is, is is a word that means something. Yes. You know? <laughs> you can't just throw but, that they around. Called yeah. it, they called it sacred. Yeah. Right. They didn't choose. You could choose another word. And so what I thought they, they could call it the only timeline. I the don't know. Like the main line, timeline, yeah. the prime timeline. They call it the sacred timeline. So I thought we were going to be getting into questions about God. I mean, you can argue the last episode does sort of do that because. The, yeah. but, but no, he who remains is clearly not a God. And, you know, it's not it's God. clearly yeah. not a God. And there also just is no sense of like even further power. Right. Or majesty, right? as it were. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And Oz is not God, right? Like that's yeah. the lesson here. Which is, is what it felt like. Very that's true. much yes. not yes. God. And I have to say, like, as a Christian, someone who thinks about this some, the thought that I had was that an actual omnipotent higher power would not be bothered by multiverses. <laughs> like, because he or she or it is omnipotent like it it's okay right. there can be infinite multiverses no, frankly for, for, that, for that, true there's omnip- no need for true omnip- to control for a true them. omnipotent being that sounds like fun yeah and also it does kind of suggest and this is an interesting thing that they'll probably do nothing with <laughs> that for some period of time there was only a single universe right whereas the natural state of existence is multiverses so what Kang was doing was actually going against 
I don't want to, nature. The natural order um, of things. I'm not sure. I want the to natural that, order know. of things. I don't, I don't know quite what it is, but like it see it makes more sense. That's to me makes him even more human, as it mm-hmm. were. That uh, it would be a person that would want to create a single timeline. I just realized there was one other theme in this show, and because it was the it's the one sentence that sort of sticks with me, and it's about trust. A lot of this show is about basically characters that are generally deemed untrustworthy trying to figure out whether they can trust each other. Yeah. And in the last, there's a great line that Loki has at the very end talking to Sylvie saying, the problem is, is that you don't trust anyone and I am not trustworthy, which mm-hmm. it indicates a fair amount of self-knowledge on Loki's part. But also I realize that's actually one of the through lines of the entire show and that is actually dealt with somewhat because Mobius justifiably is not sure whether he can trust Loki. Loki can't be sure that he trusts Mobius also, I would say, or trust the TVA. And again, all the TVA employees, can they actually trust what they're doing is the right thing to do? So that that actually was something that was important in this show. Who can you trust and what can you trust? And there's a way that bureaucracy figures into that as yeah. well, because I think one of the functions of bureaucracy is to create trust, yes. right? It's to create trust in yeah. a system. It's to create a belief that there is a system that is working and that system is actually functional. Yeah. yeah. So, Dan, <clears throat> wait, do you, do you hear something? <laughs> ping, ping, ping. Dan. Anna? Something has blown up. I... A multiverse. <laughs> I don't know. I believe. A castle at the end of time. I think we're at the debris field. We're flying in the debris field. Do you have anything you want to say that we haven't already said? Uh, just a few things. First, again, I, we've said, I think you referenced this, but the set design for the TVA in particular is legitimately glorious and is the one thing that actually does remind me a little bit of Mad Men. I, I now see where the Mad Men inspiration comes from. It's not the character. It's from the setting. Because it, it is cute that... This is a bureaucracy that is really high-tech stuff, but it looks like you are in 1940s, I would say, middle America, you know, <laughs> America. So, like, you know, it, it's an interesting sort of combination. I would note that, interestingly, Loki's preference ordering stays constant between the Avengers and this show when it comes preference to— Preference ordering, I know. Dan. Believe me, <laughs> in the Avengers, he very, very famously says— Loki's motivations. Well, no, I <laughs> no. In this case, it's preferences because he's thinking about. Okay, it's Loki's right. theory of politics. Loki says in the Avengers, you know, I'm going to to free you from freedom. That isn't this better? Mm-hmm. That you you were made to rule is what he says at one point. That like human beings are incapable of of choice, and that's actually the argument he makes from a somewhat different normative place. But it is a similar argument that he makes at the end of of this show, Loki. So that's there. I'm excited about season two. I didn't know there was going to be a season two. So like, you know, looking forward to that. And also, if you have not seen it, listeners, uh, The Simpsons did a tie in to this show, about a five or six minute short that I thought was very cute. And my favorite line in that was Lisa saying goodbye, self-esteem issues. That was fantastic. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch. Oh, that. you haven't seen it. Oh, yes. It's definitely worth watching. Yes. So I have a few yes. things. I just have to return to Alligator Loki. <laughs> uh, they, they reference the fact that it's kind of inexplicable that there's an Alligator Loki. Mm-hmm. Please, backstory. A Simpson short, something. Yeah. I'm just curious. Maybe I'll remain curious. Big ick factor. I just can't let go of that. Maybe I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try. I thought again of the colorblind casting that the MCU is doing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Like, just don't even pay attention to it. Someone pointed out to me on the issue of colorblind casting a long time ago that it's changed my thinking about it for a long time, that in any fantasy world, in any superhero Mm -hmm. genre, there is no reason not to cast blindly. Because 
like in Game of Thrones, why the fuck not? Couldn't have there been some some black people? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no real thing to like be true right. to. So anyway, folks. Next time you see someone doing an all-white version of a fictional world, <laughs> think about it. And I think that's it for me. It was really great fun. I'm sorry to see it go. Not sure what I'm going to watch next. I'm looking <sighs> forward to What If. Yes. When does that start? Uh, I believe it starts next sorry. month. Oh, so okay. The, the, well, not too long there's to gonna wait. There's going to be, you know, yes, there's, there's going to be some period of time. I also have to say, as sort of emerging from the pandemic, I am honestly been grateful to Disney because the combination of WandaVision and then Falcon Winter Soldier and then Loki, it's it's been nice to see, like, you know, when WandaVision started, uh, <laughs> it was not a great place or a great time. And now it's much, much better, you know, so like. They're, I was going to say they're very attuned to the to the needs of their yes. audience. So WandaVision's about grief. Mm-hmm. Worst part of the pandemic right. is when it came out. Falcon and Winter Soldier is about duty. Mm-hmm. And uh, Loki is about choice in some ways. Yes, so like it's it all it all works. It fits with the it hot really side of summer. Or they are in fact they who remain over at Disney, <laughs> and they knew we would need these particular shows at these particular times. Mm-hmm. I don't know; it's just a guess. They do control an awful lot. They do. <laughs> yes. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a patron of our show. You can do that for as little as $3 a month, though it's at $5 that you actually start getting benefits. Mm -hmm. You get early access to episodes. You can participate in our AMAs. And we have a super awesome Discord community where we just relentlessly (laughs) make fun of Dan. Just become a member. Practically its own channel now. Make fun of me is all I'm saying. Go ahead. (laughs) Yes. Dan, I'm actually going to tell you, uh, someone posted a picture of your book. And said they'll give it a five star review on Amazon if you come into the Discord. Oh, okay. I mean, that that that's all I needed. I'm going to enter the Discord. And... But see, the the joke is yes. here. You would have had to visit the to Discord. know that that's what's going on. I will I will enter that. By the way, you can join by going to patreon.com slash space the nation. In the coming weeks, we will be talking about Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders, and we will be talking about the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. If you have any suggestions, feel free to ping us in any one of a variety of social media ways. Um, just, re- <laughs> just don't call. Yeah, don't call. I, I just, just, that's just, just rude. I don't, I don't, yeah, no one calls. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's rude. We actually have a plan for the rest of the year, mm. believe it or not. But it's flexible. It is flexible. I I will post it at some point. Seriously, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so people can give us some feedback. And I know some people want to read along. Oh, that's good. So, yeah, it's very sweet. But again, we're super flexible and we're always looking for opportunities to do some mini Yes. But until next time, Dan. Keep this channel open for more. <laughs>